Pastor Ben for the last um, few weeks has been um, preaching a sermon series called Going Deeper. And um, he gave his last sermon on, in that series last weekend. And I'm adding one more. I'm calling it Going Deeper Through Restoration. And I was thinking I should probably call it Going Deeper Deeper Through Restoration um, because um, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about some deeper things today. And we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And from there, I'm going to draw a parallel between the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls of our heart. Um, and since we're going to focus on the first half of the book of Nehemiah, I'm going to give you a brief overview of the historical background and what the book is about um, from about the first six chapters. There's 13 chapters total. So you might remember that the Israelites um, in the Old Testament, they kept sinning and sinning and disobeying the Lord and worshiping other idols. And because of that, God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to destroy the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the temple walls in 586 BC. That does not stand for before COVID. That stands for before Christ. Um, although we might use it that way from now on. Um, the, and the people um, of Judah were led into captivity to Babylon. And it was about 50 years later that Zerubbabel um, led the first return of Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And the temple was rebuilt in 515 BC. And then 458, Ezra led the second group of people to Jerusalem to reestablish the Torah, the law. And around that same time, just about 10 years later in 444, is where the book of Nehemiah begins. And Nehemiah was a Hebrew who was living in Susa, the capital of Persia. And he was a cupbearer to um, King Artaxerxes, that's a hard name to say, who was the Persian king. And um, his brother and some people were visiting from Jerusalem, and he asked them about the welfare of the city. He said, you know, how are things going? And he heard that the, um, the report that he got is that the walls of Jerusalem were still um, destroyed, that the gates were burned with fire, and that the people were in distress. And it greatly saddened him, and he started to weep and pray and repent and um, really felt the Lord calling him to go back to Jerusalem to lead the rebuilding of the walls. And uh, so he got authority from King Artaxerxes, got a leave of absence, um, got some letters of authorization for the governors of the regions that he was going to have to pass through so that they would give him safe passage. He got some horsemen and officers to go with him, and he also got a lot of supplies that King Artaxerxes was providing for the rebuilding of the walls, and he went on his journey, and the distance, you have to imagine, from Susa to Jerusalem was about 850 miles. So it took them, I think one of, a couple of the reports that I read, it took them four months <laughs> to, to travel to Jerusalem, so a long time. And once he was there, he examined the walls um, to confirm the damage, and he came up with a plan of rebuilding and got the people together and said, let's rebuild the walls. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of opposition. Um, the neighboring um, people did not like this. And despite much opposition, he, God gave him wisdom on how to rebuild the walls and how to defend while they were rebuilding. He had half the people take up arms and armor and kind of be in a position of defense while the other half were, were rebuilding all the walls and the gates and the watchtowers. 
And within 52 days, the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. Isn't that amazing? And so that's kind of the summary of the first half of the book. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to draw a parallel from that to the walls of our hearts. And so my first point in this sermon is examine the walls. And so the walls of a city in um, the words that Nehemiah heard from his brother and from the people who came was, they said, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burnt with fire. That's um, Nehemiah 1 verse 3. And um, so when Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, he, he went at night and he examined the walls um, to kind of find out what the damage was. And um, I want to talk a little bit about what, what, what walls in a city are for. And um, throughout history, city walls were made to protect a city. And, um, and they were usually, um, they had massive, were massive structures, they had um, big gates that could be shut, they had watchtowers, and, um, and on those watchtowers, um, the guards could stand and they would be able to see from far away who, who was coming toward the city and they would hopefully be able to determine if it was a friendly visitor or an enemy. And so walls of the city were really there to protect the people that were inside. And I grew up in a country in Germany that is known for its beautiful castles and fortresses. And um, I have been to so many um, growing up that I can't even count them. But let me tell you, um, first of all, the, 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 walls, the castles and fortresses in Germany are very old. So they've, they've survived hundreds and hundreds of years, some of them even longer. And um, I've always loved visiting and just seeing the thick, tall, tall walls and the heavy gates. I mean, they're huge. I don't even know how they were able to get those in before cranes <laughs> and all the, the, the um, things that we have today. Um, and then I would stand on those watchtowers and would just be amazed at the, at the view and how you can really see in the valleys um, who's, who's coming toward it. And so people went through a lot of effort to build these walls around a city to protect the city um, in, in, in those days. And um, it, now we're going to talk about the walls of our heart. So in the Bible, the heart is considered the seat of life or strength. It means mind, soul, spirit, or one's entire emotional nature and understanding. So the walls of our heart are there to protect us. And in Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. I'm going to say that again. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So the, so the walls of our heart are there to protect us from really from the fiery arrows of the enemy, um, the devil. And as we go through life, things happen to us. Right? We live in a broken world full of broken people. And you've probably heard the saying, hurt people hurt people, right? And so if... Um, if you've been hurt by your parents, relatives, friends, even just people around you, um, it's probably because they've been hurt. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes it is more dramatic events that happen in our lives um, that can damage the walls of our hearts, um, just like the walls of Jerusalem were damaged in a battle. And um, I want you to imagine, um, um, picture a strong, healthy heart with, with, with nice, strong, healthy walls. And um, if someone throws an arrow at that wall, um, the arrow is probably going to bounce off, 
right? Because the wall is strong, there's, there's no holes, nothing in it. And I was imagining a little girl, maybe she's four or five years old, and she's got a great dad who just tells her all the time, oh, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful, I just love you, you're so beautiful. And then imagine she's in maybe kindergarten or preschool, and this boy comes and looks at her and goes, you're ugly. <laughs> and the girl just kind of perks up and says, no, I'm not. My dad says, I'm pretty. <laughs> Isn't that how we would like to respond to the enemy when he comes at us with lies? Um, her identity was in, in what her father spoke over her, that, no, you're beautiful. And she believed it. It's, what, it's who she was. She had not been damaged by events or, or, or lies that had been spoken over her. And that's, that, that's my heart for today, is that we get to the point where we realize who we are in Christ so that the enemy doesn't even have an opportunity to, um, to throw those arrows at us and hurt us. Um, but if you get attacked over and over with arrows, if you um, grew up in, in difficult circumstances or had these dramatic events happen, when a lot of arrows are... Um, thrown against um, against that wall, the wall's going to crumble, right? They'll, it'll end up with holes in the wall. And what happens when you have holes in the wall is the, the, the arrows of the enemy can get right through. And um, these events could be ab um, abandonment, neglect, abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, or sexual, um, addiction in the family, divorce, death of a loved one, really all kinds of dramatic events. And um, I think if I ask for a show of hands this morning on who here has been a victim of verbal or emotional abuse or who've had a dramatic event happen in your life, I think most of us would raise our hands. Um, I think most of us have holes in the walls of our hearts because of damage that has been done to us. And so we've determined that the walls um, are damaged and they can have holes in them, but how does that affect us? So my second po um, point here is the consequences of a damaged wall, or my third point, actually. Um, so in Jerusalem, when the walls were damaged, I want you to turn to Nehemiah 2, verse 17 with me. Yesterday, <laughs> I was up here and I opened my Bible to read, and then I realized I had forgotten my glasses and I couldn't see anything. <laughs> so... Thank God I had written the scriptures out, but today I am prepared, and you're benefiting from it. <laughs> so we're going to read Nehemiah 2, verse 17. It says, um, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. That's verse 16. Nor had I, had I yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. But then I said to them, you see the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. So the city was desolate as a result of the, the damage that had been done. No one wanted to live in the city because it just wasn't safe. And then the people of Judah were a disgrace. They were full of shame as a result of the war and captivity and what had happened to them. And when we look at the walls of our heart... Holes in our hearts allow the enemy access to our hearts. And so when he shoots his fiery arrows at us, and uh, because of the holes that we have and the, and the damaged walls, the arrows go right through and they can lodge themselves deep into our hearts. And um, in Peter 5, verse 8, um, I want to show you why we know that the enemy is going to throw fiery darts at us. It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right? So the enemy is always out to get us. Um, but these, um, when these arrows lodge themselves in, in, into our hearts, this often leads to what we call strongholds in our lives. And um, I want to give you the definition of what, those what, what a stronghold is. So a stronghold is a belief or habitual pattern of thinking that is not consistent with what God tells us is true. I'm going to say that again. A stronghold is a belief or habitual pattern of thinking that is not consistent with what God tells us is true. So another way of saying is strongholds are lies that we believe about ourselves or about God. And sometimes stronghold can be directed um, against ourselves. Um, signs of that are self-condemnation, self-rejection, critical thoughts, self-blame, guilt, fear, anxiety. I just want to give you some examples of what those strongholds could look like. And then sometimes strongholds can be directed against other people. Um, th those would be bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, blaming others, sending others on guilt trips, judging others, um, things like that. Now, um, my question is, do you have behaviors um, about yourself that you dislike or maybe hate, but, and, and you know you shouldn't be doing them, but no matter how hard you try to control them, you just um, can't seem to be able to do that. Um, one of them could be anger. Um, you know, maybe you overreact with anger all the time, and even as you're doing it, you're, you know you shouldn't react that way, but you almost can't help yourself. For some of us, it's control. Right, we always have to be in control and 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 control everyone around us, and it can cause issues in relationships, or it could be fear. Maybe you're controlled by fear, and it makes it difficult to trust people or even to do some things that others can just do naturally. And so, those are all examples of strongholds in our lives. Um, I had a fear of abandonment, and now at the time, I, I didn't know that's what it was. God revealed that to me later, but um, my dad walked out on us when I was about two and a half years old, um, and as I grew older, I started believing that lie, or somehow I had that thought in my mind that if I did anything wrong, my mom would walk out too, and that would be bad, because then I would be all alone, and um, so I tried to be the perfect child if there is such a thing. I, I literally, I, I had great grades. I was always helping my mom. I was doing laundry at the age of seven and always cleaning and learned how to cook. And my mom had to work a lot and um, tried to never do anything wrong. And if I did something wrong, whether on purpose or on accident, my mom would just have to look at me and I would start crying um, because I had this fear, you, you know, and I would apologize, and um, and then my mom was amazing. She was a believer, but she always tried to kind of overcompensate for that. But I just had this stronghold in my life that I was going to be abandoned, and um, strong. The strongholds that I mentioned, including my fear of abandonment, are just some examples. But what they all have in common is that they're not the fruit of the spirit, right? And we know that the fruit of the spirit is love and joy peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But when we have those strongholds in our lives, um, they're often the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And what they do is they keep us in prison to certain types of behaviors, thinking, and attitudes that end up controlling us. They almost become like idols in our lives. And strongholds tell you who you are, 
how to relate to others and how to relate to God. And it's usually not good things, um, right? Strongholds can be false beliefs you have about yourself. I am not lovable. People don't like me. I am inferior. I'm invisible. I am weak. I don't have the right to exist. Um, but strongholds can also be false beliefs we have about God. God has abandoned me too. I don't deserve good things from God. God wants to punish me. And so um, because of my father wound, I had a hard time relating to God as my father. And maybe some of you can, be re can relate. But when I thought of who God was, I thought of what my dad had said or done, um, that he was not there when I needed him. He t always told me I wasn't enough. I wasn't smart enough, pretty enough. Um, told me that I was an inconvenience, you know, we, we were too expensive, interrupted his life. And so these false beliefs about God made it hard for me to, to trust God as my father. And it was actually, I think I was, I was almost 10 years old when my mom, my brother, and I went to a family camp. And um, as part of the, the children's time that we had or the children's classes, um, someone shared about God as God wants to be our father and what it means to have God as our father. And I remember at the time, like it was like scales fell off my eyes um, that God the father was not like, like my earthly father. And this is not to rant on earthly fathers, but you know, what, we live in a fallen world and a lot of times out of our own lack, we can't give our children what it is that they really need. And so um, it was at that camp in, in, in August of 1982 that I gave my life to Jesus because he said he would be my, God would be my father. And um, so understanding what those strongholds are really helps us um, deal with them. So we talked about um, examine the walls and now we want to restore the walls. Right? So we have determined that our hearts have holes in them, and some more than others, some of us have been through such traumatic events that maybe sections of our walls are broken down. And um, restoration can be defined as the act of returning something to its former condition, making something new again. Restoring can also make things better than their current state. Um, we want the walls of a heart to be restored to the original state that God created them, or maybe even better. <laughs> um, my my daughter and I, my, my daughter Malia and I, we love watching those um, renovation shows on, I think it's TLC or I don't even, but, um, but I always find it so fascinating that you've got like these just ugly, ugly buildings and then they just come in with this vision and they restore them and they end up just looking way better than they did before. Um, they even did one of a castle, like, I don't somewhere in the south, must have been in Waco, um, Texas, there was like this literally house that looked like a castle and they completely restored it and um, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. But we want our walls to be restored. We want those holes to be patched and filled so that the enemy can no longer get into our hearts. And so I want to share some what, what I think are helpful steps toward restoration. And so the first one is that the Holy Spirit will guide you. Um, that's probably the most important. When Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, he faced so many things, and I don't think he knew where to even begin with the task, but he had God's wisdom. He had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit leading him, what materials were needed, what the people needed to do, what first and last, and how to defend themselves from the enemies. And we have the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Holy Spirit guide us. 
And I have found in my life that he brings things up in our lives when we're open to it, right? When we realize, I think first, we have to realize that we have strongholds. And, and there might be some of you that feel like, oh, that's just who I am. I've just, I'm just an angry person or I just, you know, I'm a critical person or I'm just, I, I'm a perfectionist or I want, I'm, you know, I always need to be in control. But when you acknowledge that those are strongholds and you actually realize, you know, I don't know that I really want to live with those for the rest of my life. I want to tell you that those are things that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us, and he wants to come in and heal those. And um, if you're stuck in an area of your life, um, you know, no matter how hard it is for you to try and fix it or do better, the Holy Spirit, you know, and yet you feel like you're out of control in that area, the Holy Spirit can show you what that is and where it originated. And he's so gentle um, when he does that in our lives. Um, he can speak to you in your quiet time, during worship, through prophetic words from others as you read his word, in a corporate setting. Um, and as I shared, shared earlier, I had this fear of abandonment, and it really impacted a lot of areas in my life when I was a teenager and a young adult. And um, it, it was even to the point where I thought I would never get married because I didn't think that anyone would want to stay with me. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's weird how wounds can just have this deep impact. And here I am, my husband and I have been married for 22 years this August. Isn't that amazing? And we have three beautiful th uh, children, but the testimony I'm about to share, I don't know that I would be married or maybe it wouldn't be a healthy <laughs> marriage if God hadn't, hadn't healed my heart. And so when I was a, um, a young adult, um, I was in a worship setting um, and um, we had this amazing time of worship, and there were a lot of other students, and um, the, the God's anointing was really there, and the worship leader said, you know, I want you to pray for each other, and um, I was going to turn around and pray for someone, and this lady came to me and said, Susanna, can I pray for you? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And so as she was praying for me, God gave her a word, and it was very simple. Um, he told her, she told me that God said, today he wants to give you your childhood back, and at my, my first thought was, well, I had, a, I had a good childhood. I mean, I had a mom who loved me. I've known the Lord growing up. But I couldn't even get those words out because as, as, um, as she was praying for me and my eyes were closed, all these memories from when I was very little till, till even through, through um, teenager and young adulthood kept fla flashing before me when I had felt abandoned or alone, either because my dad wasn't there or my mom had to work and couldn't be there. And, in every, and they, were, they were really vivid memories. I don't know if you've ever had that, like even the car, the ugly carpet that we had or the orange kitchen cabinet. Who has orange kitchen cabinets? We did. And, um, and it was very vivid. And in every memory, God showed me that he was there. And, and I was, I mean, I was bawling my eyes out and more people came and prayed for me. They felt sorry for me, I think. And this went on quite a while. I mean, I don't know how long I said they ended up moving me like to the back because they wanted to continue with the service. But when it was all said and done, I just had this peace wash over me, like this heavy burden was lifted. And, and, this, and, and it's like God had taken that stronghold and plugged it out of my life. And and I was, I, was, I was not the same after. And um, so just as an encouragement to you, when we allow the Holy Spirit, and I wasn't even asking for it at the time, I knew I was stuck. I, you know, sometimes you're like, I'm stuck, but I don't even know what it is. That's, that was me. It wasn't like, well, I have a fear of abandonment. You know, and sometimes we know what our strongholds are, but sometimes we really don't. And the Holy Spirit can show those to us. 
Um, so that's the first, is the, the Holy Spirit will guide us. Now, the bad news is the enemy will distract us, right? Um, when, when you read the book of Nehemiah, it really is fascinating how much opposition he faced. And we're actually going to read a few verses out of Nehemiah. Um, the first one is, is you, if you turn to Nehemiah 2, verse 10... Um, we're going to read um, 2 verse 10. And um, I believe that the same enemy that was at work when Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem is at work in us as we are rebuilding the walls of our heart. And so in Nehemiah 2 verse 10, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it being the rebuilding of the walls, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Let me tell you people, Satan is not interested in our welfare. He is not interested in our wholeness, right? And so he, he's looking, he's like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> and, and the reason we know that is in John 10, verse 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the enemy is out to destroy us, but God wants you to have life in, in fullness. And let's turn to Nehemiah 2, verse 19. Um, Nehemiah 2, verse 19, it says, um, again, the same enemies, and this time they even... No, no, not yet. They didn't add one. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and yes, they did, Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So they're again hearing, you know, that they're, they're rebuilding the walls and, um, and the enemy for us will come with accusations, lies, and ridicule, right? So they were trying to turn, um, turn this around as Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls. He's like, you know, we're going to let the king know you're, you're rebelling like, um, against the king, which, which was not their intent at all. And um, then in chapter 4, the enemies come back. And I mean, it's like verse after verse. Um, and this time it says that they mocked the Jews saying, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a, in a day? It just goes on and on. And so um, the enemy does not give up. He is relentless. Like He will tell you that you will always struggle with anger, with bitterness, with fear, with anxiety, that you will never be healed. And, um, and so the enemy, is, as you go through this process in your life, will always try and distract you or, or mock you or ridicule you so that you don't pursue um, the, the rebuilding of, of your heart. And... Um, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 6, verse 12, which is kind of the spiritual warfare chapter, um, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And you know... Um, in your life, you might be thinking you're fighting your mom or your child or your spouse or your coworker, but there is a force behind that because the enemy wants to destroy our relationships. And so I think sometimes if we know that, then we realize it's not really against the person, it's, it's the stronghold that's behind it. So the enemy will distract us. But then here comes the good news again. God has given us weapons of warfare. Um, 
um, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. I know I'm quoting a lot of scripture. Don't we love God's word? <laughs> um, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It literally says it in there. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. And it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, that would be the lies. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so we need to use these weapons to destroy the strongholds, the lies that we have believed. And so I have four practical steps of those weapons of warfare. They're not in your notes. I'm sorry, I had to submit the notes so early and I wasn't quite done. But you can hopefully write those down. But the first one is we need to confess the lie. When we have an ident identified a stronghold in our lives, it's usually a lie that is opposite to God's truth. And so... Um, in James 5.16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Right. So we need to confess that we have believed a lie um, so that we can be set free. But then on the opposite side of that, we instead need to announce God's truth. Right. For me, it was I needed to confess that I had believed that God had abandoned me. And the truth that I had to proclaim over my life was that God said he's always with us, <laughs> that he will never leave or forsake us. So announce God's truth. Um, one of my favorite verses is in John 8, verse 32. It says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? It's proclaiming God's truth against Satan's lies that will set us free. And then we got to forgive those who were responsible for hurting us. And that's a very important step. And then um, the last step, the fourth step, is cancel Satan's authority. Um, that's super important. Um, Nehemiah renounced his enemy's authority. And if you turn to Nehemiah 2, verse 20 with me, we're going to read that together. It's, um, I think it's so powerful. So Nehemiah 2, verse 20, um, he said, I answered them, his accusers, and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. So Satan has no claims over the walls of our heart. <laughs> right? When we've given our lives to Jesus, we're his. And Satan has no authority. And... Um, I, 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 you know, when I, I shared my testimony and um, I had to forgive my mom and my dad. And like I said, my mom was, was a wonderful mom. But when you're a single mom, you just can't be there for your kids the way that God had intended a lot of times. And so when I went through this process of healing, uh, my, 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 my dad, I've, I've never really have, have been able to have those conversations with him. And I don't know that he ever really felt sorry for for leaving us and now he has dementia he doesn't even recognize who i am but um, with my mom i was fortunate enough that i had that moment so that evening when i went through this healing process it was morning in germany the next day and my mom was doing her quiet time and praying for me and she, the lord spoke to her and said you know i'm doing a work in Susanna's life that has to do with you and so um then the next morning, Saturday morning here in, in Montana, where I was at the time, um, someone knocked at my dorm room and said, your mom's on the phone. And we had those, 
you know, those pay phones in like on one end of the dorm for 50 people. We didn't have cell phones. The young people don't even know what those are anymore. Um, but um, so I ran to the phone and my mom was on the phone and she said, the Lord said, you have something to tell me. And I'm like, what do you mean? And so she shared that when I was praying for you this morning, God said he was doing a work. And so I was able to explain and then she, you know, what, what, what had happened. She said, Susanne, I, I need to ask you forgiveness. And I'm like, for what? And she said, well, that I couldn't be there when you needed me. And I said, well, that's not your fault. And so I, you know, I was making excuses for her because they were two, and she said, Susanna, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, you need to forgive me because I just couldn't be what you needed me to be. And so... Um, it, it, it was a beautiful, th it was a beautiful thing. And so sometimes we w we won't get that forgiveness from others or that that apology. And sometimes we do. But either way, it's our responsibility to forgive. And then my next point is that we need to allow others into our restoration process. Um, Nehemiah did not build the walls of Jerusalem alone. And if he had, I don't know that they would have ever gotten done, and certainly not in 52 days. Um, but Galatians 6 verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Right? We can help each other, carry each, other, each other's burdens. And um, I believe the Holy Spirit can minister to you in your quiet time and set you free of things. But most of my healing has happened in connection with others. Um, and this can be a corporate setting, such as our weekend services or our encounter services. We always have prayer partners in the front. I encourage you to come up for prayer. Even today, if something touches your heart, you know, ask for prayer. Um, this can be in a group setting. We have discipleship groups and we have care groups. And it can be in a one-on-one -on -one mentorship. We have discipleship mentors that will walk you through for a short season. And we have our congregational care team that will walk with you for a season to kind of help you identify some of those things that you're struggling with. Um, but, you know, others can help us identify strongholds and lies that we're believing. Um, you know, sometimes you're with someone and they're like, oh, I'm this or I'm that. And you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, what you hear most young girls is, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm to this or not enough of that. And to be able to speak truth over them, that's what community does. And others can pray for you and believe for restoration. You know, sometimes it's good to have someone else believe for us <laughs> when we're so deep in our strongholds that we don't even believe that we can ever be set free and to have someone else speak over us no you know and that's my job today like I believe in God's freedom because I have experienced it I was not not as confident as I am today and it's because of God's work in my life but I had to allow him to and then he did it's almost like an onion he'll peel one layer he'll heal it and they're like oh now I'm good <laughs> And then, no, you're not. And then the next thing comes up. But it's a beautiful thing because I think we, we literally spend our whole lives being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, into who, who he wants us to be. And so that um, brings me to my last point here. Restoration is a process. So the building of the walls of Jerusalem took time. We say it was only 52 days, which I think is amazing, but really the process itself took years. I mean, the, the walls were destroyed in 586, and the, they weren't at BC, and they weren't restored until 444 BC. 
Um, and um, when Nehemiah got the news, he spent, you know, months even praying and fasting and preparing. And then he had a few months journey um, and, and then the rebuild happened. So it, it's a process. And you can be a Christian for many, many years and have holes in your heart. You know, I think sometimes we're almost embarrassed that, you know, I'm a believer and yet I can't seem to get a hold of this, I can't control my anger, I am, you know, struggling with this addiction, or, or whatever it is. But, you know, unfortunately, when we come into a relationship with our Heavenly Father, we come into it with false beliefs and dysfunctional coping mechanisms, right? Um, we've been used on relying on ourselves and developing skills of coping through difficulties that may become strongholds. And so the good news is that it is possible to unlearn those negative ways of thinking and have God tell us his truth. So in Jesus, we have the ability to fill the holes in the walls of our heart, but it does not happen automatically. It is a proactive process. And um, let's turn just for the last scripture here, Nehemiah 6, verses 15 through 16. Um, when, when I went through my school of biblical studies, I learned that every book of the Bible has like a key verse. And sometimes it's not just one, it's multiple, but a key verse kind of sums up what the book is about, the whole meaning of the book. And for Nehemiah, it's Nehemiah 6, verse 15 and 16. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Elul, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Don't we want the enemy to lose his confidence? Like, darn, God did it again. <laughs> and, um, and he does, and he will. And so um, we need to continually strengthen the walls. Right? It's, as, as I said, it's, it's a lifelong process, but what we don't want to do is when we've received that healing, you know, you can be set free of something and you know you can pick it back up if you don't strengthen the walls of your heart. You've probably done that in things in your life. We're like, oh, I think I finally conquered that. But then you kind of become passive and, and um, I kind of look at it like owning a house. When you own a house... And let's say you completely renovated your house and you just sit down, you're like, oh, wow, this looks amazing. And then for the next 10 years, you don't do anything. But you live in the house, right? So you're using, you know, the bathroom and the dishes and maybe once in a while you put a, you know, you accidentally hit the wall with a piece of furniture. If you don't do anything, the house after 10 years is not going to look very good and it's going to, some of the walls are going to crumble and um, smaller holes will turn into bigger holes. That's what it is with our hearts, right? Just because God renewed an area or, or um, the, um, um, completed an area in our, in our lives, the enemy is still after us. So he's going to still start f firing these arrows. And um, the way we um, strengthen the walls on our heart is, first of all, we stay in close relationship with God. And I know you guys know this um, because Pastor Ben says it all the time, but it is so important that we 
have a regular time with the Lord in our quiet time that we worship, that we pray, um, because it is through those times that we repent daily, right, and don't give the enemy access. It is through that that we can keep the walls of our hearts strong. And then we want to stay in close community with the people of God. I think so many of us noticed that during COVID um, when we didn't have it as much. Um, you know, it, it is so important. Community is so important. And Pastor Ben, in one of his sermons, talked about going deeper through accountability. We need people in our lives who speak truth over us um, when we can't see it ourselves sometimes. And continued healing will happen in, in community. I mentioned our discipleship tracks, discipleship groups, mentors, um, our congregational care team. We also have some care groups. And the um, first one is we have a divorce care group that starts this coming Tuesday. I just want to encourage you, if you have been through a divorce, and honestly, it doesn't matter how long ago, if you're still feeling some pain from it, I would encourage you to, to attend that, that, that class. And, and um, it's, it's a video series. It's very practical um, to just kind of help you deal with, with some of those things. And we're starting um, a course in, in March that we've offered before. It's called Freedom in Christ. And um, it's based on a book, um, The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson. And it's a 10-week course that deals with our identity in Christ and strongholds. So if my sermon touched something in your heart where you're like, you know, I, I really have some deeper things that I need to work through, I would encourage you. It is because it is in a small group setting. Uh, there is limited availability. Um, it's available on the events page now, but I'm hoping to run those multiple times a year for people who need that. And then finally, share your testimony of restoration so that others can be healed. We've been hearing so many testimonies um, this last weekend at the Encounter Service, and aren't they in encouraging when you hear? I, I, it's, um, there's a quote that says, the pain you feel today will be your greatest testimony someday. And um, last weekend, my daughter Kiana shared her testimony at all three services just how she had been, went through such a difficult time during her high school years in deep depression and was really angry at God because she blamed him for her circumstances. And then God met her and um, showed her the blessings that he had for her even during that time. But after she shared her testimony, multiple people came up to her and said, you know, I didn't realize that I was angry with God until you shared your testimony. And so it was from that, hopefully those people now were able to address that. But it's through testimonies that, that our own healing starts. And so um, I want to encourage you, if you have been healed, share it with others. That's why we're, the divorce care group is led by a couple who's been through a divorce and they've, they've received healing and they, they were able um, to get remarried and, and, and are, you know, are able to share their testimony. The freedom in Christ is led by people who have, I'm going to be one of them, but people who have been through freedom in their lives. So we all have strongholds in our lives because of damage done to the walls of our heart that allowed the fiery arrows of the enemy to get through and lodge themselves deep in our hearts. And, um, but the Holy Spirit can come and show us that. So I'd like to ask you to stand up. And um, 
And if, you, if you're recognizing some things in your life that, that you are identifying as strongholds because of this sermon today, I just want you to lift your hands up to God as I pray. Um, and um, you can come up for prayer after. And this is not a, oh, we're going to pray and then that's it. It's, it's a process, but I just hope by, by you identifying or even realizing that those are strongholds that you don't have to live with for the rest of your life because Jesus wants to heal and set you free. So God... I just thank you that you are a stronghold breaker, <laughs> Lord, that your word says that you have come to set the people free. And so, Lord, today we come before you, Lord, and we have all grown up, um, in a, we're growing up in a fallen world, Lord, and we've all been hurt or had events happen in our lives, Lord, that have damaged us or that have wounded us. But, Lord, you want to come in and restore the walls of our heart so that they're strong and that you're on the inside and the enemy's on the outside, Lord. And so I just thank you for that, Lord. I pray that as, as people receive prayer today or the, as they walk, walk home and ponder, that you would meet them, Lord, that you would give them um, practical tools on how they can work through those strongholds in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. And we're not quite closing the sermon just yet. We actually, um, last weekend, we had 12 people got baptized. And my daughter was one of them and her best friend. And um, this weekend, we're doing it again. We filled up the tank. We did make an announcement, so some people signed up. But if you are here and you have given your life to Jesus, but you have never been water baptized, um, I want to encourage you to take that step of obedience. We have shorts, we have t-shirts, we have towels, we even have undergarments for the ladies, and you have no excuse. <laughs> so um, if that's you, if you would want to come forward, see Pastor Jared right here, and he'll, he'll tell you what to do. We have one person this morning that's getting baptized, so we're going to... Um, Welcome them in, and um, then in, in, when the sermon, when the baptism is over, I'll close the service, and then we we have food in the gym for everyone. But are you guys ready back there, or are they still getting ready? Not yet. Okay, um, so they're not quite ready. So then I'm gonna take this opportunity. Um, if you are here. <laughs> And, um, and you, you, you're feeling a tug at your heart. You may have given your life to Jesus in the past, but you're realizing that you have walked away and that some of those strongholds had taken over and you've allowed things to come into your life that had you walk away from the Lord and you're here today and you're, you're going, you know, I really need to recommit my life to Jesus. This is an opportunity for you. So if that's you, if you would raise your hand, if you, the others want to bow your Hence, this is just between you and Jesus. And then later on, we'll ask you to come forward for prayer. But if you're here and, and, and you're like, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus, we want to give an opportunity for that. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're here and you have never given your life to Jesus, we've been doing a lot of um, altar calls, um, per se, and, um, and, and people have responded. In fact, my daughter's best friend just three weeks ago was in the service and she was so compelled <laughs> um, to give her life to Jesus. And um, she was one of the ones that got water baptized. When the Holy Spirit calls you, you'll feel it in your heart. So if this is you the, uh, today, I just want to encourage you, if this is you, to, to raise your hand and we can pray for you after. I'm just going to give a moment for that. If you are here and you want to give your life to Jesus, you've never done that. 
but you know you want him to guide you and you want him to heal you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you even just for the testimonies these last few weeks. Lord, you're doing a work. Lord, your Holy Spirit, there's a fresh outpouring. Lord, I thank you for the healing work that you're doing in people's lives. Lord, we've heard testimonies of people giving their lives to you, getting baptized, Lord, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and realizing lies that they've believed and being set free. And Lord, I pray for more of that, Lord, Lord even today as we're here in the service, Lord, that we're, as we're about to witness a baptism, Lord, I thank you that with you all things are new. Lord, and it doesn't mean they're always going to be easy, but Lord, when you come into our lives, our lives are changed for the better, Lord. And so I thank you. I'm a living testimony of that. So is my family, Lord. And we want more of those testimonies. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.